Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and our economy. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colours they fly should be careful about criticising those who have. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Now MPs vote later on Boris Johnson's plan to fund social care in England and reduce NHS waiting lists. The Prime Minister plans to bring in £12 billion per year uh, or by raising national insurance and taxes on dividends by 1.25%. But the health secretary has admitted that he can't guarantee new investments in the NHS will completely clear the backlog of patients caused by COVID. Here's Sajid Javid. If it had been business as usual, that's what's likely to have happened, a 13 million waiting list. That could have been one person in every family on the waiting list. I'm the health secretary, health and social care secretary. I can't have that. Well, Johnson's proposals mean that taxes are on course to hit the highest levels ever. That's according to the Institute for Fiscal Studies. Businesses, meanwhile, are complaining that the tax will hamper hiring and others point to the disproportional impact of the tax rise on younger and poorer workers. Well, it's also expected that some £5.7 billion of the tax increases will go to devolved nations under the Barnet formula. But in Northern Ireland, political parties on all sides, it would seem, have criticised the tax as regressive, as making ordinary workers and families pay the price of the pandemic. Well, joining us now is Sammy Wilson, Democratic Unionist Party MP for East Antrim and also the party's Treasury spokesperson. Sammy, welcome back to Bloomberg Westminster. Thanks for being with us. Um, I was reading some of your comments to the Belfast Telegraph, for example, that the method of raising this money is the worst form of taxation. So uh, you're clearly unhappy, but not unhappy with the money coming to Northern Ireland. Well, of course, the money which will come to Northern Ireland will be money raised from taxpayers in Northern Ireland in in the form of the levy, which is to be issued on national insurance. So it's actually Northern Ireland raised money simply given back to the executive. A decision that the executive did not make as far as the raising of the money is concerned, but of course the money will be available to the executive. I mean, I have a number of concerns about this. Um, if we want to fund social care, and it appears that there is a desire in the general population to have social care funded properly, then of course that does mean that you're going to have to raise money publicly. Um, other than that, you can borrow it, and we, we already have record levels of borrowing. But if you're going to raise it, then it should be raised fairly. And it's not being raised fairly. This is a flat rate tax, which the same proportion of people's income will be taken from them, regardless of whether they're very rich or poor. But the proceeds of the tax will benefit mostly those people who have a large number of assets, large value of assets, in other words, richer people. 
and will avoid them having to use those assets for their social care. So it's really a redistribution of income from uh, the less well-off to the better-off, from the young, uh, because young people will be affected more by this than um, older people, uh, and also from workers. And, of course, we're, leaving, we're moving out of the pandemic. Uh, we're aiming for economic recovery and national insurance, as the government has said in the past, is a tax on jobs. I think the odd that when you're trying to improve economic performance, you for the tax on jobs. And what about ring fencing? Are you worried about this cash, this cash uh, seeping out beyond the health service and social care? Well, I mean, first of all, the government has said it will be ring fenced. And as far as the devolved administrations, of course, it will not be ring fenced because the government cannot interfere in how devolved administrations spend their money. And I have grave concerns about the way the administration in Northern Ireland spends money frivolously on you know, the kind of cultural stuff, which uh, seems to be a big issue for Shinzi and etc. But I think the other thing is that uh, as time goes on, this money is simply going to go into the general pot. And um, I heard what uh, Sajid said this morning. Um, the health service is quite inefficient. Um, the waiting lists predated the pandemic. Um, and I'm not so sure that uh, given the inefficiency of the health service, all of this money will not be absorbed in the health mm. service or when something else comes along, the government will be free to simply say, well, we're ring-fencing this 1.25% from uh, national insurance for the health service and for social care, but we're actually going to cut the health service budget in other ways by giving it less money from uh, general taxation. So, you know, I don't think this is a guarantee. And given the problems that uh, the health service faces, the, the waiting lists, the inefficiency, the fact that it's all huge amounts of money, and indeed we're already getting people who are saying that even with all of this money, it will not be sufficient to do what the government says it intends to do with it. But as you say, I mean, there is a concern about the very long waiting uh, times in Northern Ireland. Surely this is a failure of devolved government then, the issue of not managing to improve healthcare um, in Northern Ireland. Well, and, and of course, uh, um, waiting lists have been increasing right across the United Kingdom. It's not just in Northern Ireland that we do have some staggering waiting lists, and I hear from constituents every day about that. And uh, I, mean, I always find it amazing that, for example, in Northern Ireland, we have parties talking about spending hundreds of millions of pounds on promoting the Irish language, whilst people are waiting for heart operations, waiting for cataract operations, waiting to have hip replacements. I think that there's there is a skewed sense of priority among some of the parties in Northern Ireland. It's one of the reasons why I'm not all that sympathetic towards those who call for increases in taxation when I believe that there are ways of improving the way we spend our money currently to ensure that the proper priorities and the priorities for most of the people in the population could be met through the money that we already have. Let's move on to talk about the uh, Brexit situation, the Irish Sea border checks. Some of the grace periods were due to expire at the end of September. The government's now uh, indefinitely uh, extended them. Uh, uh, the EU says that renegotiation uh, is is not possible. W- where do we go from here? It seems like a stalemate yet again. Well, I think that, first of all, if the EU were abiding by the agreement which they made with the British government, then, of course, they would not rule out renegotiation because the political agreement clearly states that 
there would be opportunities and indeed both sides would continue to look for alternatives to the Northern Ireland Protocol. And within the withdrawal agreement itself, there is a clause which indicates that if there were damage being done either economically or in terms of societal and civic problems or in terms of trade diversification, then one side or the other could act unilaterally to change the nature of the protocol. Now, all of the conditions which are laid down in Article 16 of the Withdrawal Agreement have been met. In fact, the Irish government has admitted that trade is being diversified from GB to the Irish Republic. We know that there are societal problems and increasingly there are tensions in Northern Ireland and we know that it's causing grave economic problems and indeed one of the reasons why the EU have not kind of, um, risen to the debate and opposed the extension of the grace periods as they recognise mm. that there will be huge problems with supplying food to Northern Ireland after the 1st of October if there are draconian um, arrangements under the protocol uh, 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 continued. I mean, let me just give you one example. For supermarkets bringing goods into Northern Ireland, each lorry load of super uh, of products will require 700 pages of documentation, which has to be checked, which causes huge delays, and which means that some products will something not be supplied because they couldn't stand the transport uh, costs. Some supermarkets who don't even supply outside Northern Ireland into the Irish Republic are being told that they have to follow the same procedures even though the goods have no chance of going into the European single market. So, you know, I think for all of those reasons, it's clear that alternatives need to be looked at and alternatives are provided for within the agreement which the government has with the EU. But are we simply ending up with being in a no-man's land here? I mean, the protocol will be extended for basically a still-to-be-determined length of time, supposedly to create space for potential further discussions. I mean, couldn't we just end up with a kind of protracted grace period that doesn't really go anywhere? Um, and also yeah, the issue I'm, around shortages, surely they have those have abated yeah. and some have said that they weren't as bad as perhaps thought. Well, you've hit the nail on the head, of course. The, the extending the grace period doesn't solve the problem because the problem is the, the level and the extent of checks which are required for what is regarded of as trade between countries of the United Kingdom, uh, intra-country intra trade rather than uh, international trade. Uh, and that's why we have said that it's wrong to simply think you'll solve this by extending these periods. Don't forget, many of the problems which arise and continue to arise have arisen within the grace period. And I suppose the real danger is that um, if you extend the grace periods, then you don't get down to serious negotiations. That's why I think the government should bring it to head and say, look, after the 1st of October, we are not going to implement those parts of the protocol, which we don't believe were necessary in the first place, which we don't believe were even agreed in the first place. And um, we're not going to have any more disruption of trade within the United Kingdom. Because don't forget, Northern Ireland is now regarded, even though we're constitutionally part of the United Kingdom, Northern Ireland is regarded as being separate from the United Kingdom with EU rules and laws applying, even though we don't have any say over them. And secondly, that then causes all of the kinds of problems of moving goods from one part of the United Kingdom to the other. It can't go on, and you're quite right. Uh, it's going to be not really a solution.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Well, let's have a look at some of these other things making news in the world of politics. The government's flagship attempt to decarbonise home heating in the UK has been lambasted by Parliament's spending watchdog. The Green Green Homes Grant voucher scheme was meant to encourage British homeowners to install more energy efficient heating systems and insulation. It was billed as a key step in the government's plan to reach net zero emissions by 2050. But the National Audit Office says that failures in rolling out the programme mean it will help just 8% of the 600,000 homes it was initially targeting. Meanwhile, when it comes to travel, the Telegraph reporting ministers are considering dropping the traffic light system for travel altogether. Officials have been told to develop a new system based on the vaccination status of travellers rather than the COVID rating of the country that they're visiting. It would mean amber and green will disappear as separate categories, though red would remain, with travellers still required to quarantine in hotels on returning from those high-risk destinations. So a big manifesto breaking tax rise to pay for more spending on the National Health Service and social care. MPs will vote on the plan later today and it looks like the government will manage to avoid an embarrassingly large rebellion. But will the tax hike be Boris Johnson's read my lips moment? The infamous George Bush campaign promise made in the 1988 uh, election, which came back to haunt him time and time again when he stood for re-election. Well, let's uh, chew this over with Bloomberg's uh, Europe Executive Editor, David Merritt. Thanks so much uh, for joining us today, David. Uh, Should uh, Boris Johnson be losing sleep over his broken promise? Well, if you listen to his line on this, the defence of it that he used in the Commons yesterday, it seemed to be pretty effective. He said, yes, OK, he stood up and admitted straight off the bat, I have broken a manifesto promise here. But what was also not in anyone's manifesto, he said, was a global pandemic. And, you know, it's been an extraordinary couple of years. And he's saying we know everyone can see how much money we've had to spend. And, you know, someone's got to pay for it. It's got to come from somewhere. And if you look at some of the the polling in the public, and this has been the case for a while, there does seem to be an acceptance that taxes can go up a little bit if people see it going to the places they want it to go, i.e. the health service. And this problem about social care has plagued the government uh, of both uh, colours of government for many, many years, and no one's been able to work out how to do it. And there's a sense, perhaps, that Mr Johnson has seized this moment when perhaps the public is a bit more receptive to putting up taxes to actually get this problem solved, or at least put forward a plan to solve the problem. So is it going to be his, you know, read my lips moment? It doesn't look like it at the moment. In fact, in fact, the way it's looking this morning, it's feeling a little bit more like a victory for Boris Johnson. Yeah, I know. I mean, Boris Johnson known as the gambler. There you have it. He's put his chips on the table. It's just a fascinating moment, isn't it? And yet, 
uh, all of the think tanks and the business lobbies and those who really know about the nitty gritty of social care and so on say it could have been done in other ways. You could have borrowed much more money. Um, I mean, was there another way potentially? Well, yes, of course, there are other ways to do it. You know, borrowing costs are, of course, at historic lows. And another you know, approach for this could have been uh, to pile on more debt. But, you know, the government is borrowing eye-watering amounts of money at the moment to fund things like the furlough scheme. We're in kind of uncharted territory in peacetime in terms of government borrowing. And yes, it's a, not a very Tory thing to put up taxes, but it even it's an even less Tory thing to spend, spend, spend and to pile more debt into the economy. So in some ways, this kind of pivot um, is in fact a little bit more true blue than it might appear because um, they are starting the process of trying to rein in spending um, and public levels of debt. And in fact, um, getting ahead of most other advanced economies here, Britain's kind of ahead of the pack here in starting to turn off those taps with this move. Um, what's to be seen is whether it's a bit too soon, right? You know, what is the economic impact of this? And of course, business leaders are going to come out and say, you know, it's a terrible time to increase taxes on employment um, and lower earners are going to be a hit as well. But, you know, what is the long term effect going to be of the one and one and a quarter percent on payrolls? Are we going to see unemployment rise? Yeah. That's one question. We don't know the answer to that yet. You know, we've still got more than a million workers on furlough in this economy. So COVID kind of masks the impact of this. So that will only be learned um, over time. And then ultimately, with the people on the lower incomes are going to see their pay reduced, what sort of economic impact is that going to have? Is it going to chill the economy a bit just as we're emerging from the pandemic? So the long-term effect is going to take a while to work their way through. We're hearing the usual objections, but Johnson, as you said, the big gambler, he is making this big um, assumption that the public are willing to swallow this um, in order to fix these problems and to fund their loved, their beloved NHS. Looking at the numbers, it, it does look like this will... Uh hits people in the red wall seats, uh, poorer voters, uh, middle class voters, much more than it will hit wealthier voters. Uh, but it, it seems that politically, he's probably got got away with that. That is his his assumption and his gamble. Um, there was a lot of noise earlier this week, wasn't there, that, you know, this is going to alienate They're all those new Tory voters, working class, former Labour voters um, are going to get hit by this. Um, and they're going to turn against the Tories. But, you know, <laughs> The, uh, the Labour Party, whilst they're objecting to this national insurance rise, uh, uh, you know, of, of course, um, have been talking about having to find more money for yes. the NHS for a very long time. And I think the priorities of a lot of those voters as well, they want to know that they're not going to have to um, struggle to afford social care for the, when they're in their old age. They they do not want there to be massive waiting lists on the NHS, the backlog, the huge backlog that, we've, that we're seeing now. So, you know, Johnson does have this ability, doesn't he, to tap into people's priorities. Yeah. And again, as I said a bit earlier on, you know, poll after poll shows whether they're in the red roll seats or other bits of the country, people are willing to pay a little bit more tax if they can see that money going to where they want it to go. And the NHS is certainly top of their priority. So, you know, we're going to have to wait for a bit of the polling out of some of these places, some of these new Tory seats. Um, to, 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 to gauge whether it is going to move the needle. But you can bet Mr Johnson's done his own analysis of this and that they, he can see that he thinks that this is the moment to push through a change like this um, and really do what he's... This has been his proposition, hasn't he, in the yes. Red I get things done. He got Brexit done. That's been his big proposition. Now he's saying, I'm going to fix social care once and for all. Theresa May wasn't able to do it. 
Um, uh, Gordon and Brown one... wasn't able to do it. No one's been able to do it. And he's saying, look at me, I can get it done. And so he's betting on that one-liner that he delivered to the MPs, which delivering. was, you know, a, bet, a plan beats no plan. That exactly. was his response to the exactly. Labour leader. So let's see whether that lands with voters. I think there's also a very interesting moment in this. I mean, we were just speaking a moment ago to Sammy Wilson from the DUP of Northern Ireland. Um, because... In fact, you could say that it is the devolved nations at the moment and the metro mayors that are actually giving the prime minister more of a run for his money when it comes to the opposition. And so um, at the point where Scotland is sort of uh, renewing its drive for independence, is this a stick with which to beat the prime minister? You know, the, the fact that taxes are going up and it's going to affect some of the nations and regions more badly in terms of hitting poorer poorer constituents than it will, you know, the South East and the rich Londoners. Yes, I mean, I think it's a fair assumption that any move by Boris Johnson that, you know, the Scottish National Party will try to yes. use, won't they, as a stick uh, to beat him with. But, you know, of course, one of the reasons that national insurance was chosen here is because of the devolved nature of some taxation measures and of and of healthcare in the country. So mm. to make this uniform across the country to, to raise these funds, that's kind of one of his options were narrowed on that front. Um, but again, that will be a reason, of course, for more grievance, I'm sure, to be raised in some of those devolved um, assemblies. But, you know, the problem of social care funding is nationwide. It's something that every corner of the country has faced. There hasn't been a solution to it. Um, so it's not going to be harmful, I think, for there to be more money poured. And I think there's reports about a sort of union dividend being part of this. So mm. with this big pot of money, and it is a significant amount of money, tens of billions of pounds over the three years that they're putting it in for, that a lot of that is going to be sent to the healthcare systems in the devolved nations as well. And, you know, we'll see how the likes of Nicola Sturgeon try to spin against that. But I think, again, when the public see big um, amounts of money going in to their hospitals... There's a debate about whether it's going to be enough, of course, because we know the NHS does tend to absorb whatever is thrown at it. But huge billions of extra pounds going to the health service. It's kind of hard to put a negative spin on that, I think. So he's sold the tax plan. But is the danger that he's not going to fix social care because it's a very difficult problem? And of course, the NHS, as you say, always wants more money. Is the problem that a lot of this money gets diverted into the NHS and not into social care? Yeah, I mean, it is a bottomless sinkhole isn't it you know in many ways you know you can never put enough in there it's always underfunded and it will absorb whatever it's put in its way and there are plenty of experts out there this week saying this this plan is not going to fix the problem of of long-term social care it's a problem that many economies all around the world are dealing with how to pay for aging populations expensive healthcare costs people are living longer and need more funding for their end for for the for the latter parts of their lives so it's an intractable problem. I think Mr Johnson would counter that this is at least a start. And it, we all remember the dementia tax yeah. uh, of Theresa May that was uh, part of her undoing um, was, uh, yeah. in her administration. No one's been able to work out how to fix this um, or even to raise any money to start. So I think what the government is saying at this point is this is a starting uh, of this process. And we're going to have to see how it evolves over time. But, you know, the idea that suddenly everyone's going to be having access to high quality funded end of life care is obviously slightly for the birds. Uh, and just very briefly then on Sunak versus Johnson, a, a word on who comes out on top in this fight. Well, wasn't it nice to see the kind of united front or interesting to see rather, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of triumvirate of the press conference um, uh, with uh, Sajid Javid as well, alongside Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson, the united front 
um, Rishi Sunak's written in the Times today um, about how Britain is really fixing its finances and getting ahead of this situation. So they're putting forward a united front on this. Um, but of course, they're, you know, we know about the tensions behind the scenes here. We know that Mr. Sunak's instincts have been, you know, as Chancellor's job is to be, of course, to look after the Treasury and to try to uh, balance the books. And Mr. Johnson, well, he likes to smash the cash a little bit more, doesn't he? So that tension definitely exists. But for now, they're putting forward a united front and we're going to have to see how things pan out in the community. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.